This is Doug Jones, founder and CEO of Get Elected. The midterm elections were an unexpected challenge for Republicans across the country, but no one outworked our candidates and volunteers here in Pennsylvania. Regardless of the outcome, I want to congratulate every one of you on a hard-fought campaign season. On behalf of Republicans everywhere, thank you for all you do to preserve our heritage and beliefs. Happy Saturday, folks, and, uh, you know, Merry Christmas Eve here on WJAS 1320 AM. You're listening to The Elephant in the Room, and I'm your host, Sam DeMarco, here with our Executive Director, John Schneider, and as always, our producer, the dazzling Daryl Grandy, the guy who makes things happen. And he's going to get through this show here today because he's going to help get direct Santa Claus, you know, here to make sure it hits all the homes here in Allegheny County and throughout the whole uh, world here. Uh, to help bring tidings of good joy and toys to all the good kids out there. But any folks, I know you may not be thinking about politics here on a Christmas Eve, but that's what our show is about. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So welcome to the show. As I said, The Elephant in the Room on WJAS 1320 AM. And also you can get us on podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple, and Amazon Music. So if you can't listen to the show here live when it plays on 1 to 2 p.m., Saturdays on WJAS, you can take and listen to us via podcast. So, hey, I want to get right to it because I have one of my good friends and favorite, favorite guests here lined up to speak to us today, Loman Henry. Loman Henry is the chairman and chief executive officer of the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research. Now, that's a nonprofit public affairs foundation that's based in Harrisburg, PA. He also serves as host of the American Radio Journal, which is heard on over 200 radio stations nationwide, and is host of the Lincoln Radio Journal, a weekly public affairs radio program that's syndicated on over 90 Pennsylvania radio stations. He's also president, and we'll talk about this a little bit later here, of the Pennsylvania Leadership Council, which produces the annual Pennsylvania Leadership Conference. Now, I just told you a little bit about his bio, but what one of the reasons why I enjoy talking to Loman so much is he has a very deep and wide breadth of experience here in both municipal and state government. I mean, he began his career as a broadcast and print journalist. He served as a political director of the Republican State Committee of Pennsylvania, so he understands how the state party works. He also worked in state government, you know, working as the chief of staff, former state senator Earl Baker, and he also worked in an administration serving as an executive assistant to the Attorney General of Pennsylvania. And Loman, like myself, we share something in common. You know, we both serve a municipal office. He serves an elective office as the Lower Paxton Township Supervisor and was elected to be chairman of the board there in 2018. So as you can see by all this experience, Loman brings a lot to the table. So when he listens, or excuse me, when he speaks, I listen. It's like E.F. Hutton. Okay, for all of you old folks out there who may remember those commercials. But, hey, time for me to shut up and welcome Loman Henry to the show. Loman, welcome. Thank you, Sam. I, I appreciate the introduction, and I wish I could get my wife to listen like you do whenever I speak. That would be helpful. I think all of us are in that boat, right? <laughs> Captains of industry at work and bums at home. Yeah, yeah at home, take out the trash and dry the dishes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So, you know, Loman, a couple things I wanted to, I guess, start off our show with. Um, just really, I think a lot of Republicans, you know, as we approach this holiday season, are still feeling the hurt from what failed to occur, you know, on November 8th. Leading up to the election, so many of us thought that there was going to be a red wave. That's what, uh, you know, the media was telling us. That's what some Republican-leaning pollsters were telling us. And it failed to deliver, you know, what do you think were some of the key reasons we didn't realize the red wave here as they did in some other places like in Florida, you know, or in New York where they grew their congressional delegation? Well, I think there are a lot of reasons behind that, Sam. And first of all, if you, if you look at the polls more closely uh, in Pennsylvania as well as other states uh, such as Arizona and Georgia, et cetera, where we had high hopes of, of winning U.S. Senate seats and did not, the polls were always very close. And mm-hmm. they were always within the margin of error. And here in Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz, his polling numbers were always running behind John Fetterman's from the beginning. There were a couple of polls right at the end that had him tied or maybe a point ahead, but again, within the margin of error. So 
the idea of the red wave, I think, was more media hype than it was reality, especially here. Why we lost the races, of course, when you, you lose the governor's race, Sam, by 14-plus points uh, or whatever it was, that makes it very difficult for anybody else on the statewide ticket. It was really hard for Dr. Oz to overcome that. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I do think the, the carpetbagger issue played a much, much larger role uh, than what any of us thought it would. But if you want to get down to mechanics, and you're, you're a Republican county chairman, I'm on the Republican state committee with you, so we look at the mechanics and what went wrong. I think the, the biggest lesson is we as a party have to now embrace the mail-in voting system and not give Democrats a 50-day head start on us. Mm-hmm. And I, I hear all the arguments about, well, it's not as secure as in-person voting, could be subject to fraud, et cetera, et cetera. All of this is true. But the bottom line is it's here. With Josh Shapiro in the governor's office, it's not going anywhere. So now we need, as a party, to outperform the Democrats with these mail-in ballots. We need to beat them at that game. And unless we play that game, Sam, I think we're going to be on defense from now on. I couldn't agree with you more, Loom. And I mean, the the day after, as a matter of fact, that night, on the night of the election, you know, I spoke at Jeremy Schaefer. We had hoped it was going to be a victory party, okay? And he turned out conceding to uh, Chris Deluzio that evening. But I said that, you know, the, the lesson coming away from that was Republican attitudes on mail-in ballots have to change. And And I think one of the things here is for folks out there, the average Republican that's listening, we have always had mail-in ballots. They were just called absentee before, okay? The only thing that changed is they introduced the no-excuse voting by mail and then provided the up to 50 days of early voting. And our folks, you're absolutely right. There's no way in 13 hours on Election Day can we take and match the numbers that folks can bring in by utilizing those 50 days of early voting. And I've compared it to being in a 100-meter race against the Democrats and giving them a 40-meter head start. You know, uh, no way to overcome that just on Election Day. And we need to do a better job from a tactical perspective or from tactics uh, with every voter contact, you know, focused on putting applications for mail and absentee ballots in the voters' hands. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the Democrats, Sam, would go door-to-door for weeks Mm -hmm. pushing these mail-in ballots. We had many, many races around the state, Sam, where we had state house races that the Democrats would start out with a six or 7,000 vote lead in the bank mail-in ballots before we even started counting the election day ballots. And it becomes very, very difficult to overcome that. And if you look at Jeremy Schaefer's race, we had two other races for Congress that we should have won, uh, one up in northeastern Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. another one in the Lehigh Valley. All of those races were very close, but once again, we were significantly outperformed on the mail-in voting, and we lost three congressional seats in Pennsylvania that we should have won, and we lost a U.S. Senate race that we should have won. And you know, God bless President Trump. Uh, what I'm about to say uh, is not meant to be negatively reflective on him. Uh, I think he was a a wonderful president. The policies he pursued were amazing. Certainly, uh, I I would give a pound of gold to have him back today rather than the guy that's there now. But he keeps demonizing the mail-in ballots, which causes a large part of the Republican base to not embrace them. And he needs to stop doing that. We, We need him and other leaders of the party to tell our grassroots, look, this is important. You now need to do this. Uh, I, absolutely. I mean, I feel, feel the same way. And I think that was the thing when, um, when the state legislature and Governor Wolf, you know, they signed the bill on Act 77 back on October 31st, 2019, instituting you know, no-excuse mail-in voting for 2020. That was new to a lot of Pennsylvanians. And also at the same time, you know, going into 2020, the pandemic, it was also the, you know, we're in deep in the midst of a presidential campaign. And former President Trump was out there railing against the use of mail-in ballots. Now, I think there was a lot of confusion there because much of what he was talking about was he was complaining about states out there who just sent ballots out to every registered voter 
you know, in their voter rolls and not a state like Pennsylvania where you actually have to apply to get a ballot and then have to show some form of identification, either, you know, the last four digits of your social security number or your Pennsylvania driver's license number in order to be able to uh, qualify, you know, but I think, you know, stuff gets lost in translation and all many of our voters heard was don't use mail-in ballots, they're bad. And I think, you know, in retrospect, that probably cost him the state of Pennsylvania, you know, where he lost by only 81,000 votes, as well as others. Well, if you look at the state of Georgia, for example, Sam, mm-hmm. you know, they, they had this election reform, and of course the, the left went, you might recall two years ago, the left went crazy. They moved the All-Star game out of Atlanta. It was called Jim Crow Two. Even though the Jim Crow laws were actually put in place by Democrats, not Republicans, right? But all these names were called of that process, which is includes a robust mail-in voting system. But if you look at this past election, Governor Kemp and all the statewide Republicans, except for the U.S. Senate seat, won and won by substantial margins, which a with a much higher percentage turnout of voters than ever before, both mail-in and at the polls. So. That proves that you can run a mail-in voting system that is secure and that if Republicans utilize it, it puts us back on that level playing field, as you put it, at the start of the foot race. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, you talked about Georgia there, but it also occurred, same thing in Florida, you know, uh, where Governor DeSantis romped, you know, to a win down there, as well as all the other Republicans in state office, okay? I don't think there's a single Democrat that won statewide office in Florida, okay? So, you know, it can be done, but it requires the change in attitude. And, you know, I I know that I'm committed to doing it. It's the commitment for the Allegheny County Republican Party. And I know also the PAGOP, you know, I was just announced, Loman is one of the folks that is on the the task force to study mail-in voting. And, And, you know, when we talk about studying it, there's not a whole lot, I think, that, you know, we would learn, but I think the most important thing is, you know, ideas on how to change the attitudes of the voters in Pennsylvania to make them more receptive of this. Because, you know, 2023, we have a Supreme Court race. And uh, we've learned from 2015, where we lost three seats on the Supreme Court. And when, uh, since then, you had the Supreme Court rolling uh, in change in redistricting cases, you know, 2018, they redistricted the congressional races, the congressional uh, districts. Uh, they did it here recently again. They also picked the special master to sit on the uh, redistricting commission for the state legislature and redistricted all of our house seats. And, uh, you know, now we're in the uh, mi- minority, you know, it, if everyone were to be seated in the state legislature. So there's, there's, there's a, a good reason for us to try to chip away at that current 5-2 majority on the Supreme Court. Republicans need to come out and vote, and this is certainly a way for them to do so. Well, and I think there is no higher priority for the Republican Party in 2023 than winning that Supreme Court seat, Sam, because all, all the problems, all the losses that we have sustained over the last four or five years mm-hmm. have flowed from Supreme Court rulings, not only their rulings that supported all the draconian shutdown measures and such that uh, Governor Tom Wolf inflicted on us in COVID, but as you pointed out, they they redrew the congressional district lines. They were responsible for one of the worst cases of gerrymandering that Pennsylvania has ever seen with the state house districts. And now we are essentially tied, uh, really at the moment, because of vacancies, Republicans have uh, a two-seat majority uh, in the state house. Mm -hmm. But depending on the outcome of the special elections, that could go to the D's by one seat. We wouldn't be anywhere near close to even if it weren't for the gerrymander of those districts. So all these evil things uh, in, in terms of Donald Trump's loss, the fact that the state Supreme Court removed the Green Party candidate from the ballot in 2020 resulted in the flow of 60 or 70,000 votes that would have gone to that person that instead went to Joe Biden. So we would have been almost even were it not for that one ruling alone. Mm-hmm. So all of this has happened because of 
in 2015, as you put it, we've lost those three Supreme Court seats. So we have to win the seat this year. We're still down four to three, but we do have those justices that won in 2015 up for retention election. And we have to have the most robust vote no effort that we've had in the history of the Commonwealth to remove hopefully all three, but at least one of those justices. Oh, I couldn't agree more. What folks lose sight of is that the U.S. Constitution, you know, leaves to the state legislature, you know, the ability or the the duty to pick the place, time, uh, you know, uh, and, and manner of our elections. Okay, and what happened was here in Pennsylvania, Governor Wolf refused to even negotiate or get together with the members of the of the redistricting commission to talk about this because he knows that a failure for them to come to an agreement throws it into the uh, hands of the Supreme Court, and that's where he wanted it all along because he knew he would get a partisan outcome, and he did. This court has been nothing more than a, a rubber stamp for Tom Wolf and, and the left-wing agenda. And you've pointed out correctly, Sam, what they did was unconstitutional. They have rewritten the laws. Uh, two years ago, one of our lawmakers down here suggested that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court should be named Legislators of the Year because yes. they rewrote so many laws. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing how they have held themselves out as a super legislature and ignored the Constitution of the Commonwealth. And our only remedy here, because these are 10-year terms, is unfortunately a long-term remedy. Yep. Now, f- folks out there, we a lot of members of our base, they're still complaining about the election. They don't believe things were fair and things like that. I think it's important for them to understand that many of the things that they complain about were entirely the invention of the Supreme Court. You know, drop boxes. We're not in Act 77. No, they okay? were. The three day extension for voting was not in Act 77. You know, they tossed out the requirement or what we hope to be a requirement. We want to do signature verification on ballots. So, you know, all these things, I mean, were things that they actually invented and created that weren't part of the law. So, you know, you, the, the folks you're talking about couldn't have been more correct that these people were legislating from the bench and not ruling on the law. And, you know, I lived, I personally lived a case here because we had back in 2020, Nicole Ziccarelli was our candidate mm-hmm. for state Senate in the 45th uh, state senatorial district. Now on September 28th, 2020, the Secretary of State had sent an email or a communication guidance out to every head of elections in the state saying that ballots that lacked a written signature or date were not to be counted. They would be set aside. Well, Allegheny County, when it, they found that Jim Brewster, you know, longtime Allegheny County State Senator, was behind, they decided to count these ballots lacking a written date. It went from there to, to and I voted against it, but I was out voted two to one. It went to common police court where Judge Joe James here in Allegheny County said, yeah, no, it's fine. It's okay. It's just a technicality. Went to Commonwealth Court where current Supreme Court Justice Kevin Brobson rolled against it and said it violated the law. So then it went to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court where these guys tied themselves in Gordian knots with Justice David Wecht writing opinion for both the plaintiff and the defendant, you know, saying that he believes that the legislature mandated that written dates be put placed on these ballots. But in this particular case, he was going to allow it to slide because maybe the voters, you know, it, it was new to them. Okay. So you have these guys making these special rollings again, you know, to provide part of the partisan outcomes that they hope to achieve. And I hope the folks that are mad and angry and things like that, remember this for 2025 in that no campaign that you're talking about for retention. Well, these, these folks who are angry about all these, rulings and rule changes, et cetera, that occurred, and people who are concerned about whether there was fraud or chicanery in the 2020 election. What we learned, I think, also in terms of a lesson from this past election, Sam, is that while many of these concerns are valid, the voters have moved on, Mm -hmm. especially swing voters, uh, independents, voters who are only marginally Republican, and candidates who focused on shall we say, challenging the last election, lost handily almost everywhere because we forgot where those candidates forgot that elections are about the future, not about the past. And yes, we we understand that there were things that were not appropriate, that laws were rewritten, perhaps there was actual fraud in the election. However, it is over. 
and we cannot do anything about the past. But what we can do is we can work to ensure that the next election is conducted fairly and with integrity. And we can work to elect a justice next year and Republican candidates in 2024 by going back to our core principles and the core beliefs of the Republican Party, which still, if you look at polls, overwhelmingly supported by Republicans and most independents. But we need to talk about those things and not whine about the past. Not forget the past, but we have to stop whining about it and move forward and do something about it. I I agree. I think that when voters go, I've always said, when voters go to the polls on election day and they pull a lever or they check a box, they color in a circle for a candidate, they're trying to make a positive choice. They believe in some way, fashion, you know, however, that by doing or voting for that particular person, it's going to make their life better or their kids or their grandkids' life better, okay? So I think that, you know, they're focused on solutions or what they would like to see as solutions to the problems they're facing today as opposed to grievances from the past. And I think that the results of this election should have made that point uh, with an emphasis to anybody that was watching. And I think we need to learn from that, you know, moving forward. You know, folks don't want to talk about these things, particularly when no one's able to provide any proof or evidence, you know, and I, I sit on the board of elections here and, you know, every board of elections meeting, we get people to come before us and, you know, make these claims and things like this, but yet no one's provided any specific evidence or proof, you know, or anything that we can even really delve into to investigate to lead to anything that would have resulted in widespread fraud or anything that may have been able to change the results of an election. Even if you did at this point, two years, two and a half years later, there's no mechanism for doing anything about that. However, we can learn a lesson from it, and we can work hard to make sure it doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think our emphasis should be. Uh, As a party and grassroots organizations that are not affiliated with the party, everybody needs to work together to make sure in 2023 and 2024, we keep a close eye on our elections and we make sure that fraud does not occur. And if we roll up our sleeves and do that, we can have an impact We cannot change the past, however. Right. I think that brings us to a point here where we start to look at uh, what the new house in the PA State House is going to look like. Because as you pointed out so well, you know, right now, because of the death of Anthony DeLuca and the resignation of Austin Davis and Summer Lee for higher office, you know, Democrats are currently you know, uh, at a a vote count of 99, while Republicans have 101. So when the House convenes again on January 3rd and they reorganize, Republicans are going to have that majority. You know, now the three special elections to be held in those districts are in heavily Democratic districts and they are favored probably to win in those districts. However, until they do, Republicans have the majority in, in Harrisburg. So now there are a number of things that they can do with that majority if they're in control. And that's if they are able to keep all of those Republicans together, they would be able to take and pass these constitutional amendments to put them on the ballot in the May primary to allow the voters in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to make their decisions on these things. So we were just talking about elections. Voter ID. Voter ID is something that pulls very well, you know, across both parties. It's something that would give people confidence you know, in the electoral process. But it's also something that, you know, Democrats in government typically resist, okay? But this may be the impetus for them to be able to make a deal with Governor-elect Shapiro and get something done to be able to help give people confidence in our electoral process. Well, it's going to be interesting. Uh, As you've pointed out, uh, right now, Republicans do have a temporary uh, majority in the State House, which means when the members are sworn in here uh, next week that they will be able to elect a a Republican speaker. Now, that person will only serve in the speakership uh, so long as the majority endures. And uh, we all understand that the three districts that are vacant uh, tilt heavily Democrat. But here is a case, Sam, where Republican leadership in the in the House needs to start becoming more aggressive. And they need to take a look at those three districts and identify one or two of them where they take a shot at it and mm-hmm. put the resources behind it. You all have come up with candidates, good candidates. They now need the resources to compete to win. And it's sad to say, but Republican leadership uh, in the State House had its lunch eaten when it came to the redistricting. Uh, if you notice, the Senate redistricted map was reasonably fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's because Senator Kim Ward was at the table and was a very effective negotiator. And even though she was outvoted three to two, she negotiated a reasonable map. Republicans 
totally failed uh, at that effort. Uh, Republicans totally failed to be competitive in a number of legislative races that we should have won around the state. So we unfortunately have this record of failure on our side of the aisle. It should not be replicated with these special elections. They need to put their shoulder to the wheel and commit the resources needed in at least one of those districts because you win one and Republicans have a majority. Mm-hmm. Now, at least for a while, because to make this even more complicated, we had a state senator from the mid-state who resigned to take another position with the Senate. There will be a special election for that Senate seat the 1st of February, and we're likely, that's a heavily Republican district, we're going to lose a Republican member who's going to be moving up to the Senate. So now we're going to have a vacancy for a period of time. So this thing could swing back and forth wildly over the next five or six months. Hopefully, we're going to be able to have these special elections, two of them in your county, uh, in May, which would give us uh, at least a tie or the majority until May, which would allow us to get these constitutional amendments that you referenced on the ballot. And you know, while we have control in early January, that should be the first order of business. You know, An effective Republican leadership would make that the very first order of business to put that voter ID question on the ballot. And, and do it immediately before Democrats get control. Because I think you're right. Once we put it in front of voters, voters agree. It's like 65, 70% of voters agree with it. Now, of course, the Democrats will fear monger and demagogue it as we approach the election, but there are voter ID in like 34 states around the country, and it works perfectly well. That is a great point. I'd like to talk more about that right after the break, okay? Folks, you're listening to The Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM. The midterm elections are in the rearview mirror, and now it's time to start finding great school board candidates for 2023. Convince the right candidates to run using the Get Elected app for easy-to-understand voter data and analysis, canvassing tools, and more. Visit getelected.org and show them the path to victory. Get elected. Campaign with confidence. Folks, welcome back to The Elephant in the Room. Sam DeMarco, your host, joined here by our guest, Loman Henry. And Loman, we were just talking before the break, you know, about the temporary majority the Republicans will hold in the House here. And who knows how long that's going to last. And you wonder, to your point, you know, the, the Republicans are going to have to get aggressive if they hope to get these things, these constitutional amendments passed to be able to get them on the ballot. So it is going to be interesting, you know, because I think while we await Commonwealth Court's decision, on what they're going to do with the new writs of a special election that uh, Cutler sent over, you know, to the Department of State, and whether those extra two in Allegheny County are going to be moved to May, or if they're going to be held on February seventh as well, we're sort of we have no choice but to go ahead and prepare as if they were going to take place. And you know, we nominated three candidates last Saturday at a conferee process uh, in House District thirty-two, which is former State Representative Anthony DeLuca's seat. You know, we nominated Pastor Clayton Walker, who's a pastor of a small church, uh, the Mustard Seed Church. Uh, He's from Verona, U.S. Army veteran, very well-spoken, and I think he's a good candidate for that seat. You know, and we nominated two other folks in the uh, House District 34. We nominated Robert Pagani. He's a retired police officer. You know, Robert uh, grew up in Penn Hills went to Penn Hills High School, served in the Pittsburgh Housing Authority Police for five years before he moved to a South Hills Suburban Police Force in Baldwin, where he served as a canine officer until his retirement. You know, now he's uh, you know, working for UPMC, you know, in a security role, and uh, but he's somebody that wants to give back to the community and I think will do a great job. And then in House District 35, we have a Navy veteran and small businessman, uh, Don Nebels. And Don has also served on the Clareton Redevelopment Authority and a municipal authority out there, and is somebody who, uh, you know, again, wants to give back to the community and is willing to put in the work, you know, to try to serve that district. So if we get the resources, you know, hopefully we can make these competitive despite the registration advantage the Democrats hold over Republicans in those districts. Yeah, well, as you know, Sam, in special elections, you usually have a fairly low turnout, mm-hmm. especially if it's not held in conjunction with a primary. So with a low turnout, what really matters most is organization and voter getting out your vote effort. Mm -hmm. So we can 
with superior organization and superior coordination at the grassroots level, we can wipe out that that registration advantage. But it takes a commitment from the highest levels in Harrisburg to send in the staff expertise, to send in the money and make it happen. And Republicans in Harrisburg cannot just sit back and say, and unfortunately what happens all too often with with the professional consultant class, uh, as you know, Sam, is they just look at numbers on a mm-hmm. sheet of paper yep. and they make decisions. They don't, they don't look at what's happening on the ground in the districts. And we all know that Western Pennsylvania has been trending more and more Republican and, and Democrats are... Uh, realigning from the Democrat Party into the Republican Party. We had significant growth in Republican voter registration across the Commonwealth last Mm -hmm. year. So Republicans need to be aggressive. Unfortunately, all too often, we have these fights down here. The Democrats come to the fight with a switchblade, and we come with a butter knife. Right. Guess who wins? Exactly. Well, one of the concerns I have is, you know, uh, because of Act 77 and the mail-in voting law, these special elections that are held in February, anybody that was on the permanent right, excuse me, the permanent mail-in voter list last year in those districts is automatically going to be mailed a mail-in ballot, okay? And because Democrats have so vastly outnumbered Republicans in the use of those, they're going to get a head start in these races as well. And you're right, we absolutely need resources. One of the other things that's affecting this, Loman, is the, uh, that, you, that folks may not be aware of, is the race you have taking place for the RNC chair, you know, with uh, Ronna McDaniel and Harmy Dillon, and I say affecting us because the uh, staff that we had that was here from the PAGOP and through the RNC, you know, they're no longer, uh, you know, here because their contracts have ended, haven't been renewed yet, while we're waiting to see what happens at the level of the RNC. So we certainly could use the help on the ground, you know, and the numbers of staff to come in and help do this organization, help us get out the vote. And is it going to come? You know, that's one of the, uh, you know, that's the uh, million-dollar question, right? Well, that, you know, we have we have this organization in Pennsylvania called the House Republican Campaign Committee. Mm-hmm. They exist solely for the purpose of electing members to the House. All right, you have three races. That's it. And there's not... You know, 200 races around the state, there are three races. You exist solely to elect House members. Why would you not engage in those races? If you are a member of leadership and you're not raising money and contributing it, that's leadership malpractice. And at that point, really and truly, maybe the Republican caucus needs to take a look at you know, whether they have the right people in charge, because you cannot just sit back and let the Democrats walk into these three seats. Right. Well, I, I know that it's not... I'm sorry. That would be absurd. Yeah, I know that I that the current leadership. I mean, I'm very high on uh, Josh Kale, uh, mm-hmm. you know, political director. I'm very high on Tim O'Neill. You know, I spoke to a uh, spe- former speaker and major- hoping to be majority leader, you know, Brian Cutler last week. You know, and he had committed that uh, they were very interested in trying to do what they can to save these seats. But you know, it's uh, I, I to me, you can't start soon enough. Right, so we're a week away from when these not candidates were selected, and I know that HRCC is getting them up on their system and things like that. I don't know what else you know has been done to date. Uh, I have a meeting with these uh, nominees here shortly to sort of talk about that and figure out where we go from here. Well, all all of these people are friends of mine too, mm-hmm. uh, and and I like them, but you know we're going to do what we can. Frankly, and I don't want to cause a problem with you with this statement, but <laughs> what we're going to do what we can is not the answer. Uh, the answer is we're going to do what's necessary to win. And unless you go into it with a winning attitude, you're not going to win. So our leadership, this is a big test, I think, for Republican leadership, uh, these three seats. And they either bring the resources to bear or they don't. If they don't, frankly, at some point in either February or May at the latest, they're going to be in a minority. And Sam, is, as, as you know from serving on Allegheny County right. Council, it's no fun being in a minority. Nope. Nope. Certainly not. Right. Well, hey, we're going to see, but I'm optimistic, okay? I think folks recognize what's at stake, and uh, let's see if they uh, you know, bring the fire, as you say, to do what's necessary to try to stay in the majority here. And we're going to do what we can here to support them and these candidates to do the best we can to make that happen. So... Hey, let me talk to you about uh, something that you have. We talked about the primary, but something that you have coming up. 
you know, next spring. And that's the Pennsylvania Leadership Conference. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I can. The uh, Pennsylvania Leadership Conference, Sam, as you know, it's, uh, I, I tell people, think about CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference that's held every year uh, in February in Washington, a big national event. Uh, the Pennsylvania Leadership Conference is essentially a state-level version of CPAC. Now, we're not affiliated with CPAC at all, but the idea for having this conference uh, originated with two college students uh, who had gone to CPAC and came back to Pennsylvania 30-some years ago, 34 years ago, and said we ought to have a state-level CPAC. And Fred Anton, who at the time was the, the chairman and head of the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association and a number of other conservative leaders at the time, put the leadership conference together. Over the years, it has grown and grown and grown uh, to the point now where we have eight, 900 folks attend uh, for what is now going to be a three-day conference. Oh, wow. uh, previously, previously, we did two. Mm -hmm. But this past year, in 2022, uh, we added a, an election integrity seminar to, to the conference the day before on, on Thursday. It was very successful. Several hundred people attended. So this is going to be a Thursday, Friday, Saturday conference, and it's going to be March 30th, 31st, and April 1st at the Penn Harris Hotel in Harrisburg. And Thursday is going to be a day where we're going to do workshops and training. Uh, we've already been talking with a national group to come in and do training for uh, new party leaders, because, uh, as you know, we have a lot of new county chairmen and state committee members around the, around the state, mm -hmm. and training for school board candidates. As you know, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the fight these days is uh, at the school board level, where the left is trying to indoctrinate uh, the next generation of young people, so we've got to take the fight to that level. Uh, we're going to do those sorts of things on Thursday. Uh, the conference itself will kick off Friday morning. And it will go all day Friday and up through a luncheon on Saturday. We have Kellyanne Conway as our featured oh, wow. speaker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, for those who don't know, uh, and I think probably everybody does know Kellyanne, uh, she, she was the campaign manager for President Donald Trump in 2016, uh, the only woman who's ever managed a winning presidential campaign in all of American history. Uh, Kellyanne actually spoke to our conference back in the 1990s uh, a couple of times when she had the polling company. Uh, so she's now a Fox News contributor. So Kellyanne is going to be our featured dinner speaker. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be setting the agenda. Uh, we already, uh, you, you asked, or we talked earlier about what the Republican Party needs to do uh, to, to win going mm -hmm. forward. One of the areas we think is highly important is to continue building coalitions with the Hispanic communities around the state. And to that end, we've been talking with the RNC, the Republican National Committee, and we're going to have a speaker and a panel on building Hispanic coalition. And this is really exciting, and this is a name you're going to be hearing a lot more of in the future. Uh, the, the young woman's name is Lourdes Obita. Lourdes Obita is a radio talk show host in Miami, Florida. And the radio station she was on, Sam, was part of a group of stations that were bought by a left-wing consortium that has been concerned over the fact that Hispanics are trending more and more Republican and was partially funded by George Soros. Oh, geez. Well, Lourdes took a look at this. They offered her a big, fat contract to stay, and she said, I'm sorry, I can't be part of anything uh, that has to do with George Soros, and she and the others left that station, left that company, and are now with Americano Media on another station in Miami. So here we have a leader of the Hispanic community uh, in the broadcast community in Miami who's going to come up and speak to us uh, in, 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 uh, in March. So we're looking forward to having uh, Laura Sabita with us. We're going to have a whole panel on the Hispanic Coalition, and, of course, we're going to have Kellyanne uh, Fitzpatrick, Kellyanne Fitzpatrick Kellyanne Conway. When I met her, her name was Kellyanne Fitzpatrick. Okay. I knew her that for 20 years, so <laughs> I'm still trying to get used to calling her Kellyanne Conway. Uh, but we, of course, Sam, as you know, we'll have uh, a lot of the leaders, uh, elected officials, uh, statewide officials, uh, such as we still have them, uh, <laughs> right. at the conference, and we're going to be touching on a lot of issues. Uh, our website is paleadershipconference.org. 
And if folks go to paleadershipconference.org, we will be posting a treasure trove of information on that website through January uh, about the schedule. And we'll be announcing speakers, panels, et cetera. And here's the thing, Sam, we keep the cost very low because we're fortunate to have a number of sponsors. Actually, we have over 40 organizations that sponsor an exhibit. So we're able to keep the cost at about $125 mm-hmm. for folks to attend a three-day event that includes a dinner or a breakfast and a luncheon. Um, and, of course, our friend John Gizzi uh, from Newsmax uh, will right. be here to speak as well. He's been a favorite for, for decades at our conference. So I appreciate you giving me time to talk about it. And again, I would direct folks to paleadershipconference.org. All the information will be there, and you can register there. Yeah, for, for our listeners, I've had the opportunity to attend this numerous occasions over the years, and it is the best place to go. If you want to be involved, if you're a conservative and you want to be involved in politics, it is the best place to go because not only can you learn from all the panels, the workshops, uh, the speakers and all the other events that take place at the leadership conference. But it gives you the ability to network with activists from across the state, you know, where you can build your network, where you can get new ideas on how to be more effective and things of that nature. And Hey, just build relationships and re- and come away with a renewed strength and optimism, knowing that there's a lot of other folks out there that feel the same way you do and that are committed to the cause of freedom and, and, and Loman, I can't thank you enough for leading and putting this thing on year after year because having been there and seeing how flawlessly it runs, and, and I know you know we do a nice dinner here in Allegheny County, but I know how difficult it is to put these events on, and for you to do you know two and three day events, I mean that is a big, big achievement, and I want to uh, recognize you for it. Thank you so much for what you're doing for the conservative cause there. Well, thank you so much, Sam. I appreciate it. And, you know, I've always said that you know, all, all of the speakers and panels, et cetera, are, are great. But to me, the most important thing about this conference is what you just said, networking, a sense of camaraderie. Because, you know, a lot of times activists are out there, you know, fighting the fight, and sometimes you think you're alone. Mm-hmm. Well, you come down to the leadership conference and you find out that not only are you not alone, but you have all these different groups and networks, uh, you know, Americans for Prosperity, the Citizens Alliance right. of Pennsylvania, uh, Commonwealth Foundation, the, the Republican Party of Pennsylvania. Everybody is there. And uh, to borrow a term from the left, it's sort of a, a safe space for Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know also one of the highlights there is the straw poll that you guys do. You know, and John usually announces or you announce those results on Saturday, you know, after the luncheon. That's always something that I look forward to to see, you know, you know, I know who my favorites are, but who are the who are the folks that the activists, you know, believe have the best chance of uh, winning here or that they support. So I always look forward to that. Well, we'll be doing a straw poll again this year as we head into uh, the presidential cycle. And we're hopeful uh, we don't have any commitments yet, but we have reached out to uh, a number of the potential Republican candidates for president. We're hopeful we might get one or more or two or three of them here, which would give folks an, an upfront look at them. And, and that's another good thing about the conference is you know, our speakers don't just show up, speak and leave. They show up and they stay and they mingle and you have a chance to talk to them. You have a chance to talk to panelists. Uh, it's really interactive. Uh, it's not a, It's not three days of people talking at you, which I think is important. No, oh, it's extremely important, and I think it's beneficial. And I think, you know, in, from my opinion, it's a don't miss uh, event for candidates. You know, if you hope to if you hope to run, because you know when a, anybody that's running for statewide office, you know, Pennsylvania is not Delaware or Rhode Island, okay? And uh, you know, you need to put an organizational infrastructure in place. We're better to meet the most active people in the Commonwealth, you know, than your event. So, And as you've mentioned, we have this hyper-important race for Supreme Court justice coming up in 2023. But also, I will point out the people, and folks may go, oh, no, we're tired of hearing about all this, but we have a U.S. Senate seat up again in 2024. Yes, we do. And, you know, it's Robert Casey, who is... A, a tough guy to, to, to run against, but the political climate has changed greatly since six years ago uh, when he was reelected. And you know, this is a situation with the Senate at 51-40, well, it's not really 51-49, it's really 
49 because there are three independents, but unfortunately the independents all seem to caucus with the Democrats. But again, this is a Senate seat that could determine whether or not Republicans get back into a majority in the Senate. So I would expect that this year you'll start seeing potential candidates poking around a little bit. Well, I'm looking forward to that. You know, 2024 is going to be a big year for us. Like I said, presidential year, U.S. Senate seat, and hopefully, uh, you know, you and I talked in the first segment, we talked about mail-in ballots and things like that. You know, we as party leaders need to help bring our party into the 21st century and to help them embrace the tactics necessary, you know, to win these seats. And, uh, I mean, when you look at what's happened here, I look at the recent actions of the Biden administration, and I can't be more disappointed. I mean, the fact that this guy survived, barely, and, and, and they're embracing it as if they have a mandate. I mean, the border is wider open than ever. You know, they're pushing through that $1.7 trillion boondoggle, you know, on the omnibus bill in Washington. And it's, uh, you know, it's, I, I, it's, it's mind-blowing. So I don't know how we're going to survive the next two years. You know, but uh, our next bite at the apple, you know, comes here in 2023 with these judicial races. And then we got to be up and running, hitting all eight cylinders in 2024 if we hope to turn Pennsylvania red again and elect a, a Republican president to the White House and a Republican senator and replace Bob Casey. Not only did they not win a mandate, Sam, but let's keep in mind, and everybody, everybody was expecting this giant red wave. Well, there wasn't a red wave, but keep in mind, we did flip control of Congress. Republicans mm-hmm. on January 2nd or January 3rd will be in the majority in the U.S. Congress. We flipped that chamber. And relative to Senate seats, folks need to remember, there were twice as many Republican seats up for election this past year than there were Democrat seats. And you know what? The Democrats didn't defeat a single incumbent Republican running for re-election. Now, we didn't defeat a single incumbent Democrat either. The only seat, with them having a two-to-one advantage over us in terms of seats up, the only seat to flip was, unfortunately, Pennsylvania, which was an open seat. But in 2024, the script is flipped. There will be 21 Democrat I think it's 23. 23 Democrat Mm -hmm. seats and, what, 11 Republican seats or or 10 or 11 Republican seats. The Republican seats that are up are all in deep red states, and about half of the Democrat seats are in purple states. Right. So it is, again, an opportunity for us, which hopefully does not get squandered. Well, and I hope so as well. I mean, I think right now three of those seats that are going to be up are in uh, states in which Donald Trump won. Yep. You know, so, yes, I think the optimism, is it's good to be optimistic, you know, for that, we have reason to be. But, you know, going back to the first segment here, you know, where we talked about things, I, I think personally, in addition to having, you know, different tactics to reach all of our voters, and particularly the low propensity ones, to get those votes in and get those votes counted, but I also think Republicans need to stand for something. Now, I don't say that meaning that they don't, but I, I mean that in that we have to offer alternative solutions so to voters, okay? You know, I, I had a call a uh, week before last from a reporter, and he's asking me, Loman, saying that, uh, you know, the talk is that if the Supreme Court strikes down Joe Biden's uh, student loan bailout, that Republicans will suffer electorally at the polls. And he asked me if I think that that's true. And I told him I, it, I thought it depended. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, first of all, we didn't take anything away from anybody, it was never Joe Biden's to give in the first place. I said, but more importantly, I said, Republicans need to recognize that the soaring cost of higher education is a problem for people. And we need to be able to offer solutions as to how we might address, you know, the cost of higher education, but that the people that took out those loans absolutely need to pay them. You know, Um, I think the same thing with many of the other things we talk about schools. You know, this upcoming year, school boards are on the ballot, okay? And it's great to be against CRT and and the indoctrination of our kids. It's great to be against, you know, this gender 
theory that they're trying to teach. It's great to be against those things too, but we also need to be for things. So I think some of our folks need to come out and talk about, hey, I'm for keeping schools open. I'm for making the school districts spend the money that they received through this pandemic on trying to help kids narrow this gap, this learning gap, you know, that they've gotten through the failure of remote learning. You know, I, I mean, I just throw those things out as a couple ideas, but I just, you know, Republicans, we need to give the voters a choice and not just be against what crazy thing the Democrats are trying to do, but tell the voters that we recognize that some of these areas are real problems and we have free market solutions to address them. And if I may put in another plug, this is exactly what we do at the Pennsylvania Leadership Conference. We have panels, we have speakers, we have workshops that provide you with the alternative answers and allow you then when you leave to engage voters and say, well, we're not just opposed to this, but we're for this. I mean, anytime you say you're against something, you need to also have the second part of that and say what it is you're for. And a lot of times, and that message really didn't get out in this past election. Uh, I heard a lot of voters say, well, we keep hearing Republicans attacking Democrats, but what are you going to actually do? Right. And that message didn't get across. I mean, I saw something, it looked like, and, and these numbers, I mean, you can't hold me to them, right? But I saw something that said, like, Democrats spent like $480 million on television ads this past cycle, you know, on abortion, and Republicans spent like $10 million, yeah. okay? I mean, look, when when you're being painted, you know, as extremists, and, and, and look what happened. I mean, we had a gubernatorial candidate who had a position that he had articulated, you know, previously, and he said he was for, you know, banning abortion with no exceptions, Okay. Democrats took and tied every Republican running for office to that statement. And the failure to push back in a, you know, positive way, I think, you know, may have also hurt us and led to the losses that we suffered, you know, like in the state legislature and elsewhere. And Dr. Oz, for example. Well, again, we cannot let Democrats and the left continue to dictate the narrative without pushing back on it and changing it to the positions that we support, and with good reason. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Now, hey, listen, uh, Loman, this is why I love having you on our show, because you bring uh, you know, knowledge and opinion uh, that our folks can take and uh, utilize here. And uh, I, thank you so much for sharing information on the Pennsylvania Leadership Conference. Folks, if you're listening and you want to get involved, again, I couldn't recommend more. Go to the paleadershipconference.org and sign up to attend that event here at the end of March and beginning of April. I know that I'll be there. Hope to learn a lot from it. Loman, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. I'd like to take and wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and all of our listeners out there a Merry Christmas. And uh, until next week, this is Sam DeMarco signing off, the elephant in the room on WJAS 1320 AM.